Hey, yeah. Terry, how are you? How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. Technology's great, but I, I really uh, appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. This is uh, Terry Pesci, who runs her own independent consulting firm, but spent many years at KPMG, was an AUSA, and also worked for HSBC in the early 2000s. So um, I really appreciate, with the vast experience you have, that you're joining us today on AML Conversations. So thanks so much. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, John. So today, uh, we're going to talk about something that does impact how uh, institutions handle AML, CFT, and sanctions, uh, and that's third-party relationships. So as we know, uh, a couple weeks ago, the OCC, the Fed, and the FDIC issued what they're calling the interagency guidance on third-party relationships on risk management. And a couple things struck me from the document. One is all three of those agencies had previously done separate guidance documents over the course of a few years, and they made a decision to uh, do it uh, together this time in a collaborative fashion, in part because they're looking for uh, what seems obvious, consistency. So they want to see consistency in how all the agencies approach supervision in this space, number one. They put it out for comment uh, a couple of times because I guess comment period had closed in mid-2021. They extended it to October. And from the document, it seems like at least they're characterizing it as generally positive response. There are, there are a few uh, issues, I think, that institutions are asking for more guidance and perhaps more clarity. But I think in general, that's their take on it. So what I wanted to ask you, besides the obvious, the consistency now, so that if as you always, uh, as you did before, now you do today, if you're representing an uh, institution that's OCC regulated or FDIC regulated, Fed regulated, now at least from your perspective, you can give them your sense of the guidance because the guidance covers all three. So I think that's, that's important. But besides that, what were some of the themes in the document that jumps out at you that will be helpful to, to our clients and helpful to the AML community in general? Uh, yeah, thanks, John. Um, no, I agree. Consistency is important, especially given that there are some institutions that have multiple regulators. So you, you know, if you're if you're answering to, to to many masters, you want to make sure you're doing it in the same way. So that's that's critical. Um, I think this guidance is is very helpful. I mean, the examiners have been looking at third party risk management for some period of time, and this is really a, a blueprint as to um, how you should uh, evaluate those relationships. Um, the things that jump out at me, I think, you know, most importantly, and I'm going to start backwards going forwards, the last chapter is on governance. And I think governance right. around third party relationships is critical. Um, because not only do you want to have consistent guidance, but you want to be addressing your third party relationships consistently throughout the bank or throughout the financial institution. Um, so the governance is incredibly important that you have um, uh, basically categorized and inventoried your third party relationships, um, done a risk assessment of those. And I know that's a separate section of the guidance is that you need to take a risk-based approach to your third-party right. relationships, much like you would your clients or your customers. Right. Um, but uh, it, it, if you're looking at them through a, a single governance lens, I think that's, that's very helpful rather than looking at each individual third-party in a vacuum when, if you're applying the same risk management standards to the third-party relationships, that's, that's very helpful. 
Um, also, um, it, 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 it allows for basically a coordinated review of the third parties um, and, uh, you know, coordinated updating of the third parties, consistency in contracting, consistency in due diligence. Really, I think governance means rather than having your third parties uh, overseen by individual parts of the bank, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute, it, it is helpful to have a, a, a central governance function to oversee the third party relationships. Now, that said, there will clearly be oversight from the part of the bank that the third party is assisting. So in the right. RAML world, for example, if you are outsourcing or you have managed services for KYC or transaction monitoring, plainly the, the AML or the compliance function of the bank is going to be overseeing that relationship. But they'll be overseeing it within the standards that have been set more broadly for the bank. And, and, and that's a good thing. Um, one of the other things that jumps out at me also is is the level of due diligence that the examiners are going to be looking for um, when you are um, evaluating which third parties to um, to hire. And again, third parties can be something like we talked just talked about outsourcing or managed services, but even consultants. Right, when you're onboarding consultants that are going to do some work for you or going to provide you um, with uh, an evaluation of of what you are doing, you need to make sure that you are um, working with the right, the right firm, the right people. And by right, um, you know, that doesn't just mean the lowest cost, right? There's a, a laundry list of due diligence elements that's in this guidance that I think are very helpful um, when you are you know, doing your, um, your due diligence on third parties. It's, it's basically a checklist and, um, and it's, it's something that I think um, banks definitely should apply. I would imagine that when they're examined, the examiners will be looking to see that they've applied this level of due diligence, this granular level of due diligence. You know, they, they mention in the early part of the guidance, uh, what they're characterizing as critical activities, right? Mm -hmm. And they, uh, and some of these things, again, seem obvious, but as you're making your risk decisioning, it says uh, some of those activities could be something that could cause an institution to face significant risk if the third party fails to meet expectations. That's why governance, as you said, is so important. Could have significant customer impact, uh, impact on the financial conditions of the operation. So it, again, goes back to the notion of uh, risk can vary depending on size and product delivery and all that sort of all those sorts of things. But it's they're they're sort of leaving it up to each organization. You do what the identification of the of critical activities, and then does that relationship support those? And then, as you just said, what's the control over those third parties so that you're supervising what they're doing and that and that sort of a situation? So I want to go back to. Um, the the original uh, comments in, in the front end of this too, that they said uh, there are significant benefits in having third-party relationships because you get access to other technologies, right. other, other expert staff, that kind of thing. But there's also some uh, challenges and the challenges is sort of what we just implied and that is loss of control. So when somebody calls you in and let's say you're coming in with a team of people as you did at KPMG, uh, High level, what do you tell them in terms of um, the control issue? As you said, the governance structure probably handles that, but 
Give us an example of a, a particular project, not a particular project, but a high level project and where the control would be with the outside party, but the inside organization still has, you know, either final say or there's a documentation process or reporting process. Because it seems to me that that's what we're getting at with a lot of this. Sure, sure. No, no, absolutely. I mean, and it goes along with the, the, what is not new is you can outsource the function, but you can't outsource the risk, right? So right. Uh, what, what it, wherever you bring in a third party to do work for you, you're still going to bear the risk, you as the bank. So you, you do need to make sure that you exercise some form of control. So as a third party, um, coming in to assist banks in one project or another, we would always make sure that a that we were on the same page at the very beginning of the project. That there was there were no surprises. That we would have a plan um, to execute upon that the the bank or the client agreed upon. So there's no shock. There's no shock there. We're not just going off and saying we're going to do it our way and right. you know that's it. No, we're going to do it your way. Often you're applying a bank's procedures too. So um, you you. Could could be um, putting in practice uh, policies, procedures that they have given you. Like, for example, if you're doing onboarding or KYC for a client, you're probably using their policies and procedures, not yours. Uh, not theirs. Yeah, not yours, theirs. Um, but you, you need to have basically a, a, you know, kind of a blueprint for how you're going to do it that the, the client agrees to. Um, that's step one. Then you need to have regular reporting at regular cadences in a, in a form that the client is comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think, important as a third party to make sure that you have a form of project management over what you're doing and that the project management keeps you on track with respect to both um, reporting, not only reporting what you're doing, but tracking what you're doing so that you can provide the client with uh, with updates as to progress, updates as to um, what it is you're doing, metrics, management information with respect to what you're doing, and provide it in a form that the client is comfortable with. So, I mean, as the client, you 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 want to get a, a template for management reporting at the beginning of a project or um, at the beginning of a relationship so that you know what you're going to see and um, you know what, um, you know, where the, where the pitfalls can be. Um, you also have to establish a communications, uh, a, not just a, a, not just a documentary re reporting, but a regular communication stance status with the between client and third party. There needs to be a level of trust, um, and so you, as a third party, need to ensure that you are informing the client if anything is going wrong. So that's that's important. Let me ask you the another part of this that I know we pay a lot of attention to, besides everything that's within the parameters of the guidance is information security. That's such yeah. a big issue nowadays. It's been for, for a long time, obviously. The, uh, the guidance does reference that as well, right? Absolutely. Information security, uh, confidentiality, operational resilience, I and mean, then their physical security. Information security is critical. So the question is going to be if you are, you know, from take it from both perspectives. If you're the client, you want to ensure that if you're turning information over to um, to the third party that it is maintained in a, a safe, safe and secure way that it is probably not copyable, not shareable. Um, if I'm the third party, I want to make sure that I have, um, uh, you know, the uh, controls on, on, for example, if you're sharing with laptops, the controls to be able to tell the client that you have sufficient information security systems in place. Uh, to prevent any kind of loss. 
Um, often, uh, if you're uh, really, if, you know, firms that are conservative about sharing information will not allow third-party laptops. They'll they'll provide right. they'll provide the hardware as well as the software for the work to be done, so that they have more control over uh, information security. But, I, but, but that is critical. And if you are a, a vendor, you need to make sure that you have your own information security processes in place, because that's something that will be part of the due diligence that the, the client will conduct. They will want to make sure that whatever you have, um, they, can, they can trust you with, with their data. You know, uh, another, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not being facetious about this next question. It's, it's interesting to me, and you, you live this world, so you understand this. So a lot of times what we hear anecdotally is that institutions may gravitate toward a more well-known organization or one they've had business with in the past that's been extremely successful. The guidance specifically, in my view, addresses this. They say yeah. you, you got to uh, assess the third party's ability to perform the activity as expected. But then they say this line jumped out at me. Relying solely on experience with or prior knowledge of a third party is not an adequate proxy for performing appropriate due diligence. Because, yeah. you know, obviously that organization may be able to handle the project, but maybe not so much. And because some member of the board of directors knew this organization is not a good enough reason. And and obviously the consulting world is well aware of this, but that to me being called out specifically in the guidance, I don't, I don't remember if that was mentioned in previous issuances of the guidance, but I, that struck me. And obviously you, you've lived that life. So you know this very well. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that jumped out at me as well, because you would think if you have prior experience with a firm, you've used them before for other projects, you would have a level of trust um, and that that counts for a lot. But sure. this plainly said, for basically for each contract, you need to do separate due diligence, and it may include getting references. It may include looking at um, you know a, a other work that they have done. Um, it, it you cannot just say you know we've worked with you before. That's good enough for me. You plainly, as a third party, have to basically sell yourself again, but sell yourself on all these due diligence points, not just that. Um, that you can that you can do the job, but that you have all the um, you know all, all the controls in place to do the job and to do the job um, in uh, a, a way that doesn't cause additional risk to to the institution. But yes, that did jump out at me as well because uh, maybe that's a good thing for consultants so that that uh, right. a bank can't use the same one all the time and the others have a chance to get their foot in the door. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think that's fair, and you know, obviously there is a finite number of organizations that provide services, but some provide broader services than others. And that's just, that's just how it is. And I think this, obviously the regulators understand that or they wouldn't have mentioned it. Um, related to that, this also struck me as relatively new, but you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. They also want you to review the third parties, their business strategy, and including the third parties service philosophies, quality initiatives, employment policies and practices, including its diversity policies and practices. And they say that that information may assist the banking organization to determine whether the third party can perform in a manner that's consistent with the bank's broader corporate policies and practices. Was that in previous or is that a relatively new 
theme do you think i think that's a new theme um it it is it is it is taking things to to a new level i mean there's nothing wrong with ensuring that the values that your third party has or have are consistent with Mm -hmm. with yours um so that's a good thing but um looking at certainly looking at their business strategy and things like that that's not necessarily always relevant to a, a, a discrete project um, but, sure. um, it, it, it does, I, I, inter- I think it's interesting. It, it puts a bit more of a burden on the institution that's hiring the third party in terms of the level of due diligence and how deep, deeply they need to dig when they're, when they're bringing in a third party. So, um, why don't we now cover or talk about what the supervisory oversight is going to look like? So based on the guidance from a practical standpoint, uh, when the examiners come in and check out these third-party relationships, besides obviously what's in the body of the guidance in terms of the things we've already highlighted, right? what else are they going to be looking at uh, that third parties should be aware of? And, and also obviously the institutions that hire them. Um, I think that they are going to, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, a very detailed examination process, similar to having your AML program reviewed. Your third-party risk management program is going to be reviewed, I think, both from a governance perspective and overall perspective, as well as an, an, a testing perspective. So not only will they be looking to make sure that you have the right standards in place to co- connect the, sorry, conduct that risk assessment to to conduct that due diligence to uh, to oversee the third parties to have independent testing of the third parties if if required they'll be looking at that the processes for all of that they'll be looking at documentation for all of that as well to make sure that you have um, all your policies and procedures documented and they'll be testing files the same way they test files mm-hmm. if um you know, and they're coming in and looking at KYC files or, or transaction monitoring, suspicious activity reports. They'll, they'll be coming in and they'll say, show me your third party file. You know, they'll probably, like they do with clients, give me a list of all your third parties, all your vendors. They'll select a, a number of them and they'll want to look at the files associated with them. So they'll want to look at the contracts. They'll want to look at the reporting. They'll want to look at the oversight and they'll want to make sure that you've done the due diligence that they expect you to do before you bring that third party in. So I think it's going to be um they're they're going to be very detailed exams especially for more complex organizations that rely on third parties a lot and one thing we haven't touched upon is that uh, Mm -hmm. that you mentioned it earlier is a lot of the new third party um agreements have to do with technology because a lot of banks don't have um often the level of technology that is now available in the marketplace And, you know, these may be newer vendors, so you're really going to have to do your homework on them and make sure that they are um, able to um, apply the same governance standards that you might and, and, you know, abide by the legal and compliance requirements that they need to. Yeah, you know, as we we, uh, tie this up and again, really appreciate your time. I think the the guidance, obviously, as we always say when we do these conversations, Everybody should read it, look at it carefully, yes. do some tra- training on it. But I saw something as I was preparing to, to ask you some questions. When the Fed issued their statement, the uh, one of the governors, Michelle Bowman, uh, opposed the fact that, in her view, it was not enough clarity for community banks, which I thought was interesting. It's, a, it's on their website. So um, she starts off by saying, she, of course, she supports the supervisory expectations uh, for third-party risks, but um, she, I don't say claim is the wrong word, but she believes 
that there needs to be more specificity uh, because she thinks community banks are going to have have a hard time with the guidance in terms of implementation. And so um, they said that this is a helpful step, but they're going to need more. I thought I also had seen something in the actual guidance that said there was plans to do more content going forward, which could include this. But obviously, you know, the community bank world is one we're both very familiar with. What's your you know overall take from that perspective? It looks to me like the regulators are going to address that, but clearly this governor felt the need to call this out. Right. Well, I mean, the guidance does talk about that the the approach to third parties will be different depending on the size and the risk of the institution. So, I mean, that's that's I realize that's maybe that's ice in winter. That's not telling you a lot. Um, And as a community bank, you probably are not going to have the kind of resources to have the type of third party oversight program that a bigger bank may have. So I understand that that's a concern. Um, but uh, I, I don't disagree that it would be helpful to have a, a, a bit more, and I don't want to say a, a, a abbreviated guidance for third-party banks, but perhaps something that is a bit more realistic for an institution that's not going to be able to devote the kind of resources to this that a, you know, that a, a mega bank might be able to. Yeah, I can even envision um, a brand new industry popping up just to provide oversight for third-party relationships. Yeah, third-party relationships overseeing third-party relationships. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Obviously, we uh, so appreciate you being an advisory board member of AML RightSource, and obviously we are a third party in a variety of ways. Um, How important is it for entities like our own to not just understand what's in the guidance, but to make sure we sort of map the metrics, I'll use the word metrics, not re- metrics per se, but but map the parameters and the guardrails uh, to the guidance so that we can present uh, to clients and potential clients, look, we have this, this, and this, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, what's your sense of how we might be able to do that, not specifically, but just high level. Right. Well, I mean, you, you're an experienced third party provider. So I think you probably have a lot of this in place already, but you know, following the guidance and putting together packages that touch on all the issues that, um, that banks are supposed to be looking at. So looking at your operational resilience and your information security and your physical security, having all that information pre-prepared, because chances are it's not going to change from project to project. We'll help you be prepared to address the due diligence that um, is going to be occurring when you're being onboarded by by third parties. Also, you know, you've I'm sure you have many master services agreements or contracts, Mm -hmm. just understanding what's going to be expected and in the contracting process uh, as well is going to be very helpful to you all. Um, I mean, I, I, you are very well suited to to have. Um, all the answers to the questions that um, that will be required by due diligence, because you have these things in place as an experienced third party provider and um, being able to provide it uh, expeditiously, I would think, um, will 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 benefit you. Well, Terry, thanks for all your advice and counsel throughout your time with us. And in general, you've always been great whenever I've had questions over over the course of our careers. Um, Looking forward to talking to you again in July when we're going to be doing a webinar on the FATF plenary that's going on right as we speak. But Terry Pesci, thank you so much for your time today, and we'll talk to you down the line. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me.